Hey, Linda. Hey, Wendy. Really excited to be joining you and our listeners for this conversation in our podcast, Being the Change. Me too. It's our opportunity to have conversations with a variety of guests around topics that inspire us to be the change we want to see in the world. In fact, this first season, very timely, we're going to be talking about this question, what the heck is going on in education? Well said, my friend. And really, um, an appropriate conversation to be having right now with everything that's been confronting educators. So I'm excited to explore that a little bit further. We are a social worker and a counselor coming to you from the district mental health team in Pasco County Schools in Florida. Linda, here we are. It's hard to believe, but we are getting ready to cap off our inaugural season of our Being the Change podcast. We've been talking about what the heck is going on in education and have had a couple of really wonderful guests. Yeah, and we're, we're going to finish off with a couple more really wonderful guests. Fantastic. Well, we started with an assistant professor of instruction in the Department of Sociology at USF, Dr. Tuntia. Yeah, that was great. Dr. Tintia gave us um, a sociological perspective on the pandemic, you know, like uh-huh. how has the pandemic affected us as humans and what does that mean for educators? It was great to kind of move that lens back and look at society at large and really globally to, to kind of take that snapshot and say, where are we? And then we transitioned to our, our episodes with Todd Clough. Yeah, Todd um, really helped us to set the stage for what was already kind of going on in education, the big shifts that were happening that already were at play when the pandemic hit and how that um, might have contributed to or exacerbated uh, some of the ways that the pandemic has affected us. Right. This next episode, this couple of segments of, of the episode, we are going to meet with two Two superstars in Pasco two, County two Schools. Two of the goats. Oh, yeah. yeah. Greatest of all time, that is. <laughs> yes, thank you for the clarification. Yeah, just in case. Just in case you were thinking of, like, goats that eat. You never know. Grass or tin cans. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to start? Who, who are you introducing? Well, I have the genuine pleasure of introducing Sabra Chapman. That's right. You heard it. We have Sabra Chapman coming into the studio Um, Sabra has been a counselor since 1990. She was a school counselor at Land O'Lakes High School. She was the supervisor of school social work services uh, with Pasco County Schools. She was the EAP supervisor and a clinician with EAP for 12 years uh, before she retired in 2016 from Pasco County Schools after 25 years of service. Um, She's now semi-retired and works as a mental health counselor in Dade City. 
Sabra, um, and I'm adding this, um, Sabra is a beloved figure in a lot of our minds, um, those of us who had the pleasure of working with her through those uh, throughout those 25 years. So it was great to have her in the studio and have a chance to talk with her. She really is a, a bit of a superstar and one of those one-name people, mm-hmm. you know, like you, all you need to say is Sabra and you know who it is. Yeah, and it immediately sparks yes. like a, a, a joyous smile to your face. Yes. Yeah. Along with Sabra, we have Scott Liu, who actually inherited that job as coordinator <laughs> yeah. of the EAP when Sabra left. Scott has been with Pasco County Schools the last 25 years. The last six years, uh, he's been the EAP coordinator. He oversees that program, provides counseling to staff and their dependents, um, offers training in our district, um, and gives uh, lots of support to admin and their, and their team. He um, consults, and we both run into him supporting crisis team events um, when we're out at schools providing services. Yeah, um, Scott's fantastic. He, I was lucky enough to have him as a colleague in the social work department for many years before he transitioned to the EAP um, as the EAP coordinator. And Scott is, uh, was the perfect, you know, sort of choice, uh, as successor for Sabre. Those were not easy or small shoes to fill and he's done it uh, wonderfully. Um, the other thing I love about Scott is that he will, he will pop in on people and just check in. He just genuinely cares about how people are doing. And so it does, he doesn't wait for there to something to pop up or a crisis to occur. He will just randomly kind of pop into our office and check on everybody. And, and I, th- I think that's just a great quality that he has. He really is a good person. Yeah. And I've known him for 20 years now. And you can see that as we've kind of grown up together in, yeah. the, in the school system. And um, it's really great to see how he has maintained that heart, yeah. maintained that purpose, yeah. and also just grown professionally. Yeah. So, I mean, what a, um, what a pleasure. I keep saying that word pleasure, but it really was a pleasure and is a pleasure to have the two of them together, uh, talking with us, get their insights, their perspective, um, and they're uniquely poised in their professions to be able to talk with us about, um, where do we go from here? All right, let's get this ball rolling. What an opportunity to sit down with you two. You have both helped so many of our staff and our families in in our community and their loved ones. So welcome. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So we, we brought in Scott Liu and Sabra Chapman to round out our season one of what the heck is going on in education. Mm-hmm. Um, so today what we really want to do is have a conversation about how we, how we can gracefully move forward um, from here and maybe moving into next year and the years beyond that. How do we support our staff, our families, our students to reconnect to a sense of purpose so that those of us who choose to stay in this profession can do that with with a a renewed sense of purpose. Okay. It's been a bumpy year. I don't know if you Mm -hmm. two have noticed. Mm. I felt it. (laughs) I have noticed. Mm -hmm. So is there, if we take this year or the last couple of years aside, and just think about in all of your conversations with educators, 
Is there a gem, maybe it's something you find yourself saying <laughs> a lot, or something that would help um, our staff, um, is a message that you have for them? Um, if I think of it like in a scaffolding and wanted to get it into one little um, nutshell, um, one thing that continues to cross my mind is always go back to what you have some control over and you always control your attitude. That is my go-to kind of starting place. Mm -hmm. you know? For me, I think one of the things that I had noticed is the relationship um, that exists from educators to, to the job, you know, and, and back and forth. I mean, it's, it's a, hopefully it's a two-way street, right? right. Mm -hmm. But I think that in the last, I'd say 10 to 15 years at least, the, the relationship seems to have changed. From, from what I hear from, from the educators, um, especially like the, the reciprocal nature, I think the reciprocity piece of it um, seems like it's kind of diminished. It seems like there's more expected from the educator uh, with some diminishing returns on what they get mm -hmm. um, from it. So um, I think the cost-benefit analysis piece, I think a lot of educators never thought that they were ever going to do a, a career cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. but due to distress and changing tides, they find themselves, in fact, doing that. Yeah. They went to school to become educators. They wanted right. to work with kids. And so they didn't have a paradigm for um, having to decide, like, is this working? Right. Do I feel the relationship with my job and what right. it entails, it, is it okay, right? It's because, mm -hmm. you know, who, who other than business people get trained to do cost-benefit analysis? Right. But life has a way of, like, helping us all to mm -hmm. come to those conclusions, right? Um, and I think that some of the ways that, that the, it, it shifted um, and that there's a mismatch in, in, in what I give and what I get are evidenced by uh, teachers feeling a loss of autonomy, feeling like things are prescribed, uh, I don't have a lot of professional uh, creativity or latitude, uh, efficiency is demanded, my time is all booked up uh, throughout the day, um, the things that parents, teachers, the community at large uh, expect from me and say about me uh, have, have shifted. And so um, I think in that regard, and then the, the compensation piece too, mm -hmm. right? I think in that regard, um, more educators now than when I first entered, um, you know, I think are, are doing that kind of decision-making process. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about the reciprocity in uh, like the relationship you have with your profession. I think that's a really cool way of framing how some teachers are, are currently feeling and reflecting. There's no, and you talk about this a lot, Linda, the flexibility that you, you want to have within your profession and the work that you do, and it seems very inflexible right now. There's no chance to, to breathe. There's no chance to show your creativity, or at least it feels that way, you know. So. A decent chunk, I mean, just looking at, you know, some information, you know, maybe including Gallup, uh, you know, there's a decent chunk, you know, somewhere in the 40, 45 percentile range of people who seem like they're engaged with the work and satisfied. So it's not that it's not that everyone is dissatisfied, mm -hmm. but I think that there's an increasing amount of people who have uh, become enough uh, in, in questioning mode enough to uh, to be a trend. Mm -hmm. For me, when when you ask that question, People who um, work with me know I'm very visual. So I, I recognize that 
that I because I'm not in the system anymore, and I just work with people who are in the who are living that life. Um, so what comes to me are people that are struggling with it anyway because they're seeking help. And what I have seen across time, like up until that be, the beginning of the pandemic, it was think about people walking on a treadmill. And then you, you, you know that button you push that says you can go from two miles an hour to two and a half miles an hour? You can see I'm not a jogger. <laughs> but um, I, that button keeps getting pushed, and people are trying to keep up because that's their value, and they want to do a good job, and they like it, and they're trying to, and it benefits kids. And then we, the button gets pushed again, and the button gets pushed again, and people are getting so overloaded that like that pandemic year I saw all these people running as fast as they could go to learn stuff and to get it done and then people have started stepping off Mm -hmm. and that stepping off that's that variety it depends Um, some people step off and get an okay then I just don't care I'll go in I'll do what I have to do but I can't care because I've, I'm, it's too stressful or whatever. Some people step off and think, I'm out of here, and they leave the gym. Mm-hmm. And then some people step off, get some, you know, get some help or some way to rejuvenate, do that analysis and say, no, it's in my best interest to step back on. And that's what I see. I think it is very different depending mm-hmm. on the situation. And I also think another factor, just because of my, my vantage point, is people feel like that investment, um, the, the people, and some of you are there, have been in the system long enough, and probably not the healthiest thing for the system, but people do have their mind on that, on, I've invested this, I thought this is what my retirement was going to look mm-hmm. like, that's a big step to leave, yes. mm-hmm. especially if you're in one of the groups that either says, I, I don't care, or that just can't get back on. It's yeah. a really, it's a big thing, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and um, I, I, a lot of people grapple with that. And I don't see as many people um, coming in and well, he did this and he did that, and how do I deal with that? It. I had somebody tell me not too long ago, work used to be my happy place, mm-hmm. you know, and just that's how I visualize what's happened in the, as that treadmill and then what people do when they can't keep up. And when the, when the treadmill gets turned up like that, it we can hold on maybe, and if we know this is a short-term pain situation Mm -hmm. you know I'm going to be able to catch my breath soon Mm -hmm. but if it keeps going and it keeps getting turned up then we don't see the end that's that yeah and and there's a little maybe a pause right now the numbers are good we're (laughs) a little bit safer as far as you know just that physiological that safety piece Mm -hmm. that helps but there have been a lot of stressors that have been pushing that button on the treadmill (laughs) Yeah, keep pushing it. So for the, I guess um, my question would be, 
So now here we are, we have the people who chose to get back on the treadmill, Mm -hmm. maybe, or at least are staying in the gym, right? you know, and thinking about getting (laughs) back on. How do we support them to be re-engaged? Because the people who are engaged and are just like so passionate that they're in it no matter what, no matter how much, you know, they're pressing that button, they're just like, I'm doing it. I'm going to keep stepping up. So how do we support the folks that are kind of, making themselves get back on the treadmill, making themselves mm-hmm. stay in the gym. Maybe it's because they don't have choices. Maybe it's because they're invested in the retirement system. Right. and Or maybe it's because they really love their job and they want to get reconnected. How do we support them? What do we do? I, I think, um, have, back to that concept of reciprocity, I think encouraging people that manage the employees and the employees in general to continue to inform one another of what this is like what's working well, what's feeling well, what feels sustainable, what questions sustainability. I think having open conversations like that, that go both ways up and down the chain, is where we're going to really sync things up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so some of it starts with leadership. Is that what you're... I think it starts with leadership, mm-hmm. asking the questions, and then I think it starts with uh, the employees um, getting some buy-in that... that this is a safe thing to do mm-hmm. for me, mm-hmm. for my longevity and for my immediate you know, feedback to people who uh, are asking, this, this is okay to do. Mm-hmm. This, uh, this will be productive versus uh, you know, risky right. for me to talk, have this conversation. Uh, I think that that's a great place to start. Okay. In- encouraging honest dialogue back and forth between what it's like to be in the classroom or in the bus driver's seat or wherever, um, and ask people, you know, what don't we know? Mm-hmm. What's life like for you? And what don't we know about it? What would you like us to know? What, what kind of help do you need? Uh, and then uh, having them tell us, and we receive that. <laughs> I, I think, I think yeah. that that's a great starting point. Yeah. Um, because I'm not in the organization, I don't approach that as an organizational thing. I'm thinking about the individual sitting in front of me, sitting in front of me. And um, I, I find myself, planning to do this made me kind of summarize a little bit. I find myself focusing with them probably on, on three things. One is challenging old scripts. You know, um, I remember when um, Mr. Browning first came uh, had an interesting experience because Mr. Browning was doing his rounds and he would, I think he's got a, a scout background or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was saying it's always important to do your best. And then I came into, it was a principal's meeting, I came into a meeting at, right after he had talked and, and so I wasn't, I had heard him say that, but I did not know what he said in the meeting. And so I was talking about challenging old scripts. And I said, how many of you people were taught to always do your best? (laughs) And hands went up and I said, well, I challenge that. I don't always do my best. Some things I don't like to do. (laughs) So somebody came up to me after the meeting and said, you two need to get your act together and <laughs> give the same message. So challenging those old scripts because what they, like how we define success. You know, success is accomplishing something. I said, I can say, no, I think success is 
doing the best you can with the resources you have. Maybe we have to look at that rather than always doing your best. So that challenging old scripts, I do that. Another thing that I didn't ever think would be a big part of this, but it is, is helping people with communication skills and how to be, how to, just what Scott was saying about having those, having those dialogues. There's so much that doesn't get said People feel like they don't have a voice, and it either leads to a lot of dread or a lot of resentment. Mm -hmm. And to be able to say, you know, I am overwhelmed, to be, to be able to say, I can remember one time, um, without naming names, at the end of an evaluation, I said to one of my supervisors, um, a, a whole big lot of um, duties had been placed in my arena and if there I couldn't do it so I said to my supervisor I gave him a list of things that weren't getting done I said I just have to tell you this isn't getting done you pay me for 37 and a half hours I'm giving you 50 that's all I got mm -hmm. so I'm not saying I won't do it I'm not saying that anything other than I'm telling you that it's not getting done. And if you need me to get this done, tell me what to take out. Being able to do that, then I'm not living in dread of this ball dropping on me like somebody's finding out my job's not done at least. It, and this is awful, but if I go down, we're going down together. Yeah. You know? yeah. And yeah. So yeah. I've kind of put it out there and given them the choice, take this off your plate, don't do that, because we do need this done. So that communication to take care of some of that dread and, and to get rid of some of the resentment. You don't need it to go your way, but there's a lot of value in being able to say, in my opinion, I don't believe this is best practice. I, I'm your employee. I certainly can do it, and I'll do the best I can. I hope it takes us where we want to go. And now, you know, you, it's out there. And then the last one is probably the most important, and it's kind of out there somewhere, so I just don't mention it. But I always look at how people, um, how people see their identity. And we don't do a very good job sometimes at separating who we are from what we have. Mm -hmm. And you're a teacher and a good teacher, or you're a bookkeeper and a good bookkeeper, or you're a plant manager and a darn good plant manager. You have a job that is plant manager, a bookkeeper, or teacher. And those are two very different things. And if you're not able to do that job the way, that doesn't mean you're not a good teacher. You yeah. know, and, and being able, if you can keep your identity wrapped up in who you are, your values, how you make decisions, how you treat people, your priorities, if you can keep that as your identity, you can keep constant. It's like your roots. And then those things you have, anything you have, you can lose. It can change. You're better, you, you're better rooted so that you can weather those changes. So those kind of three things are where they always kind of end up in the counseling session somehow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think we, um, Linda and I have done quite a bit of training in the district mm -hmm. around a lot of these, um, a lot of these like philosophies and a lot of this feedback that's similar to what you guys are talking about, but it's, 
I don't know that we're landing in the way that we want to land because I think one of the things that's happening is people don't feel empowered to communicate. They don't feel like they have a voice and their their self-care or their wellness is, is out of whack, right? right? And so they're focused on one, maybe one area, um, which is okay if that's a really important prioritized mm-hmm. area, but it does leave them vulnerable when they've put all of their, you know, time and energy into this one thing. And if it's wrapped up in their identity, mm-hmm. then if something gets wonky with that, then it's a devastation. That's you know, a good clinical term. Yeah. <laughs> wonky. Yeah, I learned that in college. <laughs> if, if I'm walking on the treadmill in, mm-hmm. in normal times, normal, I'm doing air quotes there, and I, while I'm walking on the treadmill, I can have conversations with somebody passing by, I can answer a phone call, I can think about things. The treadmill gets, I feel very competent and able to do things treadmill gets turned up I am now out of breath I can't have conversations and everybody around me is like what's the problem (laughs) keep doing what you do you're so good at that (laughs) then I start to think something is wrong with me I I can't I have these high expectations and we get back to the scripts and that sort of feeling of I'm in alignment with w- the organization I'm working in. If the line is every, business as usual, keep doing your job, expectations haven't changed, and I am out of breath, right. something's wrong with me. I'm in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know many, if any, managers, whether that be administrators in the schools or supervisors, um, at the district or wherever throughout the system, I don't know many people who um, who want to be disconnected from their employees that they manage. Um, but the the demands that our leaders have on their plates and the fires uh, that they're putting out throughout each day make it really hard for even the most caring, compassionate leaders to tend to the personhood of their staff. So that part I, I'm concerned about for leadership. Yeah, yeah. Nobody here thinks that they just need to be a better taskmaster, mm-hmm. right? But the things that are demanded of the leaders, um, I think, is is inordinate, is unrealistic. And so then even when they come around to how can I connect with my employees, um, they, they might be able to invest some short-term energy in that direction, but it will be, immediately be challenged. <laughs> And I'm concerned yeah. for our leaders right. to sustain uh, best practices management and staying in touch with their people and really being able to listen with their people because when they don't already don't have enough time mm-hmm. to get to the crisis list of the day, the, the, the competition for their energy and their focus at that point is fairly impossible. Mm-hmm. Are you saying the leaders are people too? Wait <laughs> <laughs> right. a second. Yes, yes. So and I feel dialogue. a lot of empathy and compassion for them yeah. because what they want to do is severely challenged. So the dialogue you're talking about having where people, staff can have a voice and be heard and leaders can stay connected and really understand what's happening that's hard from from all ends. How do you Absolutely. have a voice if the person listening doesn't have the bandwidth because people aren't right. listening to that person? 
this is not a one-tier issue. Yeah. It is, um, is organization-wide. And every, you know, everybody in this building and in any of our buildings with the school system has a boss. They have laws. They have people who are disgruntled, kids that need ed- You know, it's, it is, if you talk to them, it, it's not just a, a, a line on the, on the TO chart. Mm-hmm. It is system-wide. You know, some people are probably better able to, you know, navigate it is probably the word, but it's everywhere. And when we are stressed... As human beings, we have the tendency to want to externalize, like figure out who to point at. Mm-hmm. I often say to yeah. people, who mm-hmm. is this they you're talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me who yeah. the they is. Mm-hmm. If you had just handled this better, I wouldn't feel right. this way. Right. Instead of sitting in discomfort, because it's inherently part of what's happening. And we, you know, in, in any situation, there's, there's just a lot we don't know. Uh, you know, I live in a non-school board world now, and, and the the friends that I have and the the people I walk with, you know, they'll say, well, the school's this and the school's that. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, if you only knew. Mm-hmm. You know, people just don't know the, the, the chaotic feelings sometimes. And... And they make assumptions based on this news reporter that I don't think people have any idea of the stress on everybody. And the heart people have to go into education in the first place. That's right. Mm -hmm. It's a service job, really. It serves the community. Mm -hmm. So reconnecting to that purpose, I mean, how important do you think this is to have that connection to your purpose because it gets a little funky during um, challenging times that connection to your purpose can get sort of if not fully disconnected Mm -hmm. weakened right how important is it that we reconnect to why we're in this this business of educating children All right, Linda, I think I'm going to end us there on a bit of a cliffhanger. Oh, I, everybody loves a good cliffhanger. Yes, they do. As long, as long as the resolution doesn't come, you know, next season or next year or something like that. True, true. Are they going to have to wait long for the next part of this? They only have to wait as long as it takes them to push the button on the next episode. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. Okay. Well, what a great conversation with Sabra and Scott, our um, conversation around that, that metaphor of the treadmill that we can all relate to. I think the three focus areas that Sabra brought up, the scripts, communication skills, and then that reflection on our identity, as separate maybe from our job. Agreed. And and Scott, um, he talked about the reciprocity in the relationships up and down the food chain. Yeah. And creating and fostering that dialogue. So we know what's going on. Yeah. So creating some predictability. Yeah. As much as possible. Because you know what? Leaders are people too. Shocking, controversial (laughs) statement, Linda. What are you thinking? <laughs> well, stay tuned, everybody. Come back and listen to the next part of our conversation um, and take care. This is Linda Hughes. This is Wendy Belfield. 
sending you our gratitude for being the change that's needed in our world. And wishing you a healthy mind and a happy heart. Like and subscribe.